Joining me on the show today is author Chris Morphew. We talk about the Phoenix Files, his writing inspiration, what's next, and all about my adaptation of his hit series, The Phoenix Files. All that and more in today's Talk To Me. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Benjamin Mayer McKay's Talk To Me. I'm your host, Benjamin, and joining me on the show today is best-selling sci-fi novelist Chris Morphew. Chris has written The Phoenix Files as well as for a range of other series uh, targeted at young adults and children, and we've just adapted The Phoenix Files into a brand new series of audio dramas. The first of that trilogy is out right now. It's called The Phoenix Files, Man in the Shadows, and it stars Wolf Creek's John Jarrett and Doctor Who's Paul McGann, and I talked to Chris about his writing inspirations, The Phoenix Files, and of course, what it's like to let somebody else adapt your work. So, here's my chat with Chris. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. Welcome to the show, Chris. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Now, what inspired you to become a writer? Um, look, I think, I like, as a little kid, I knew that I wanted to be a writer and I knew that I wanted to be an astronaut and they both seemed like totally doable at the time. But then, you know, as I um, got older and more realistic, like both of those kind of slipped into that category of like elusive famous people jobs, or at least, you know, like they weren't normal jobs. Um, but I always like, I love storytelling. I love like long form drama on TV. I love, um, like I love to read. I remember reading Animorphs as a kid, like kids mm-hmm. turning into animals to fight aliens. One of my friends brought that in in year six um, and showed me the first book. And I was like, this is the best thing that's ever been written. We can all just stop now. But like as um, I grew up, yeah, like I loved writing and I'd, I would always kind of do it as a hobby. But it seemed kind of like uh, impossible to do as like a real job because that was like for famous people. But then I um, met Rowan McCauley, who um, I've since gone on to co-author a bunch of books with. And she was a writer and like a totally normal person. Like she was a friend of mine for like a long time before I realized what she did for a job. And I was totally blown away by this. And then, yeah, suddenly it seemed achievable and I gave it a go and here we are. Exactly. So how difficult would you say it is to get something published? Um, usually way harder than it, it um, was for me the first time. So the way that I got started was... Um, so Rowan was writing for this series called Go Girl, which was uh, like young reader books for girls. And I, um, I, like, I would talk to her about that. And then um, one day she was like, hey, do you want to have a go of writing a book for the Zach Power series? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. What is that? Um, and it turned out that the same publishing company that did, uh, Zach, that did Go Girl also did this boys spy series called Zach Power, which was like kind of, James Bond for seven-year-olds. And so I went away and I read some of the books that were already out and I, um, I you know, spent a school holidays writing and writing. This is school holidays, me being the teacher, not me being a kid. Um, writing and writing and writing this book. And I sent it off and I was like, well, that was fun, but nothing's going to come of it. And then a couple of weeks later, I got a call from Hilary Rogers at Heidi Grant, who was um, one of the editors there at the time. And she was like, hey, we like your book. We want to publish it. When can you have the next one ready? And suddenly I uh, was an author, which I know is like a completely infuriating story. Um, And not all publishing has come as easy to me since. But I'm sure like I I remember one time I went to the Emerging Writers Festival and it was all like, you know, 
I, I was put on this panel of like, how do you get into it? How do you like struggle and battle your way into this like cutthroat industry? And I just got up and I remember looking at this audience full of like eager aspiring writers being like, oh, you guys are going to hate me so much. But um, yeah, I've since discovered that there are all kinds of weird backdoors into this stuff. And I feel like a lot of people stumble into it rather than like work their, their way in. And that kind of um, stereotype of the the struggling author with the wall full of rejection letters who finally gets their big break. Like that's the thing that happens sometimes. Like that kind of JK Rowling rags to riches thing does totally happen. But, you know, it's a business like any other business. And so there's all these kind of weird factors that, that come into it. And I, you know, yeah, I really do feel like I stumbled in the back door of a publishing company and they were like, hey, do you want a job? And so, yeah. Well, it sounds obviously like you had it a little bit easier than, than some other people. but I, I Yeah, I'm really to... sorry to anyone who's listening who's like hating on me right now. I, I, I wish, yeah, anyway, sorry, go no, ahead. No. Um, so when it came to the Phoenix Files, mm-hmm. I mean, Zach Powell was already established as a, as a series. Yeah. So that probably from a publishing point of view seemed like a safer bet. But when oh, it came totally. To, when it came to the Phoenix Files, did Hardy Grant initially want to publish it? So um, they were, a comp- like at the time, um, they were really big on this idea of like, we have these training wheel series that are like Zach Power and Go Girl and, you know, people come along and write as like writer for hire. But the hope was always that they would like help people to, um, you know, develop their writing skills so that they could move on and do these things. And I remember... Um, like, you know, I was 21, 22, something like that. And I had, like, I wrote Zach Powell, but all along I was like planning this other series. And I came up with this like big, long, you know, detailed plan for, um, for the Phoenix files. And I presented it to my publisher and, and like, she took one look at it and all of my little color coded like grids and stuff. And she was like, Chris, you were a nerd in high school, weren't you? And it's true. Um, but, you know, and so I just pitched her this thing and, she, and, and Hillary who, you know, to her credit saw something in it that, you know, I, a lot of publishers might not have, I don't know, but, um, they, they took a chance on it and they were really, really good about, you know, supporting the, the vision that I had for it, you know, and, and, um, my, my editor, uh, Marisa Pinzado, who worked with me on that series all the way through, was just phenomenal at, like, seeing what was in my head and being like, okay, that's what you want to do. You're not doing it yet. Let's talk about how we get you there. Mm. And the series was initially published as six books. But yeah, that's right. Yeah, since been uh, turned into a trilogy. What, mm-hmm. what was your initial vision and, and why the change? Well, so for me, it was always the story as a whole thing and the number of units that that story would be published in was kind of negotiated with the publisher. Um, and so I always saw it as a complete whole. And in the end, we landed on six books as the way to bring it out. But um, then a couple of things happened in the writing of the series. Uh, so first of all, as I wrote it, I was kind of like, I, particularly as I got towards the end of the series, I realized that it really is a story in three acts. Like that was how I had structured it. And so books one and two really do tell, you know, act one of the story and then books three and four and books five and six are kind of their own units. But also as it went on, it got darker and it got more more complex and it um, went from being, you know, 
kind of younger young adult to being like full-blown young adult kind of with a um, you know I've got a lot of fantastic adult readers who have really got on board with the series as well and so um, just kind of upgrading I guess the packaging of the series to kind of show what it really was once it was all written um, like for us man let's package it as a trilogy like they are bigger weightier books the covers are redone to kind of look older and more I mean I, I, I guess there's the cynical version of it that's like, oh, yeah, you're publishing the same books with different covers to make more money. But honestly, it was much more a sense of let's give your average punter in the bookshop who runs into these things the best shot at seeing what is actually on the inside. Mm. Well, I mean, I would definitely equate it more to sort of a Hunger Games mm. level of, of darkness because when I was just researching to try and find a project to work on the quantity of adult fans on the internet at any rate seems to greatly outnumber the younger fans which I found fascinating and, and you see it because they are well-written books with complex science fiction storylines and it always occurs to me that you know, Star Wars was essentially intended for kids when it first came out mm. and is now this you know huge not adult but all-inclusive uh, sci-fi adventure story and I yeah. feel like that's kind of where the Phoenix file sits. Well, I'm always, you know, I, I never want to become that old dude writer who's like, here's what the children will think is cool. And so I, I'm always really writing for me. Like The Phoenix Files is honestly like everything that I love about storytelling. Like, um, you know, I, I love, you know, as I said, stuff like Animorphs. I love stuff like Harry Potter and the Hunger Games in that kind of young adult sphere. And I love like long form TV drama like, um, you know, like Lost and Game of Thrones and stuff, you know, these big, long, complex stories. And so for me, um, yeah, I was writing for myself. And if um, if kids think it's cool, awesome. If adults think it's cool, awesome. Like, I, yeah, I'm writing for me and anyone who agrees with me about what's fun to write about, I guess. Now, I do want to talk about the, the audio drama, which, which mm-hmm. uh, I am behind. When I first sent you that email, Mm. What were your thoughts? Because it's an unorthodox project. Had had you sort of experienced audio drama before? Or well, did you yeah, think so, I was insane? Well, speak, somewhere in the middle. Um, so, like, I, um, as a kid, remember reading, uh, listening to these, like, the old Star Wars audio dramas. Um, and, like, I had the cassette tapes of all of these, like, you know, adaptations of of this original star wars trilogy and i love them because they were they really expanded like you know they had a lot more time frame to work with than a two-hour film and so they really could expand out and give you all of this like backstory so as a massive star wars nerd that was like awesome to me but that was my last kind of you know as a 12 year old that was my last experience of audio dramas um and so yeah like i it was one of those things where when I, when you first got in touch, I was like, that sounds really cool. I'm not a hundred percent sure what that is. But then like when we caught up, um, that one time when we met, uh, you really kind of sold it to me and I, I kind of caught the vision for what it was and what it could be. So yeah, I got really excited about the idea. And you have heard it. I mean, it's out now, mm, um, mm. Nas- internationally. What, what did you think? It is, a totally surreal experience to have um, like other people voicing and recreating and, and um, you know, making another version of this thing that I've spent years and years on. I had this um, like this strange experience 
of like, you know, because I saw the scripts as you were writing with, as you know, you finished writing them and they were, you know, I was really happy with how faithful they were to the books um, because not that I wanted to like, you know, insist that you dogmatically followed what I'd written, but I, you know, the story is the way it is because that's, you know, how I wanted to write it. So it's cool that you were so, um, you kind of got the story and I, I that was really cool to see. Um, but then to, to hear it, it was like, part of my reaction was, oh, these are actually kind of, like, this story is not a bad story because I, like, it it had been, you know, I wrote them, but I haven't read them for years. And so, like, I was kind of, there was a part of me um, that was like, oh, this is kind of good. Um, but, but and then, like, you know, obviously um, there's some incredible people in the cast. Like, Shackleton is just so spot on and, like, so awesomely, like, creepy and just a little bit weird and that like kind of low that slow burn unsettling thing um is super cool and just for me to kind of also like dive back into you know this kind of media was super interesting like I think the music is um incredible it's got this like vaguely like stranger thingsy kind of vibe which I yeah really like and um yeah just like there were a lot of points um, reading through the scripts where I'm like, how are you going to make that work? You know, like, cause I'm just like, it's all just words on a page and it's like insert sound effects here. And I'm like, but really though, will you really be able to tell what's going on? And it turns out you can. So that's good news. Um, yeah. Like it's, it's, it's been really, you know, interesting and cool to listen through it all and to, um, yeah, to like re-experience this thing. It's, it's just a weird kind of, I guess, out of body experience, you know, like this thing that has survived, in my head for so long and then it's like imported into other people's heads through you know reading the books is now this thing that's like you can plug it in and listen to it it's incredible well i'm, I'm glad you liked it and yeah shackleton i mean paul mcgann that that voice mm. it was interesting because we had a few people you know in mind for shackleton mm. but he i mean he's played heroes paul typically plays you know he was the doctor in doctor who mm. but he has a menacing side and i think he yeah. just, he just played a nazi on stage in a, in a west end production and i i sort of saw that and i thought i think i think he can do this and then he came in mm. and it was just i mean you know you it's your story and the dialogue you know some of it does come straight out but hearing paul do it mm. sort of brought new life to it even for me and i've spent, oh absolutely i mean i i have spent i think nearly 2 years on on this now and i feel mm. like i know it inside out and, and backward but yeah you yeah. were you were involved you read the scripts and you heard some of the casting choices as we went through which listeners won't know so when you read those scripts yeah you talk about how how does this work and i, I think a few things have changed even since you read them mm. what i mean comparing listening to it and reading a script what what has that been like as you've sort of watched it grow well i mean it makes a lot more sense to me now because like, as, as i said before it's like I, w I was kind of trying to visualize it, you know, or whatever the audio version of visualizing is. Um, uh, and I couldn't really get how it was all going to fit together. But yeah, just hearing it as this like complete package is really cool. And it's interesting. Um, the, like I never really had a clear idea for a lot of these characters, exactly what they sounded like, you know, because the, that whole like audio dimension wasn't really that important to me in, in the writing. And so to hear, um, you know, some of the choices that you've made in terms of like 
this is what this kind of this person should sound like and this is what that person should sound like and I guess there's all there's all of this kind of um you know you've got to think about stuff that I never had to think about in terms of how to differentiate you know having people that sound different enough to each other and stuff like that like I'm assuming that's a thing like for me distinguishing voice is about the words that they say and the order that they put them in but in in this case it's about you know what do they actually sound like and, and so I think the range is really great like I think um you know Julia who plays Jordan is not exactly what I um you know had in my head but like she does a great job and um you know Sebastian's Peter is really cool as well and like I think that was a case where I was like yeah that's what he said like that's him yeah. you know and some of the others I was like they took a little bit um longer for me to to adjust to um but like it they they just work you know like it it um I think it's a really like great cast and like as the casting was coming through I was like really you got that guy you know you got them and and so it's been really cool to see um yeah the the names that I knew already um and to hear all that come together but at the same time to hear these people who um I wasn't familiar with and to hear them bring different characters to life as well it's been a really yeah cool and as I said surreal kind of experience and and what's what uh, listeners may find interesting because I think people have a perception with an audio drama you sort of just go in you record it and and you leave and I think Julia spent 200 hours in studio wow. to do all three because um, we recorded all three at once uh, mm. for, for sanity's sake more than anything and it was a it was an eight month recording process because there is yeah. a, a lot of a lot of book as as you know mm. a lot of script um, but yeah Julia has the most dialogue out of any character ever mm. and yeah we spent about 200 hours recording with her and and that that drive and persistence is is remarkable and to still have sanity mm, mm. after that well i remember like looking at your social media feeds as you were going through that marathon recording and just seeing you slowly come undone um mm. and yeah, i'm glad you're okay at the end of it and i'm glad everyone else is okay and it's interesting to hear you say that jordan has the most lines because she's like hands down my favorite out of the three um the three like main characters. And so I guess subconsciously I was giving her lots to do as the series went on, but yeah, she's just like, she does a remarkable job. It's really cool. Yeah. I don't think she says anything in like the first 12 scenes um, from mm. my memory. And then it's sort of onslaught of, of Jordan dialogue. So she was actually, I think one of the last people we got in studio. So I think the first 12 scenes were done before yeah, she'd mm. recorded anything. And then it was sort of that process of, of waiting to, to record uh, with Julia. But even, you're right, even Seb, I mean, I, I when I was reading the books uh, and when we were still in very early discussions, I kind of just knew because I'd worked with Seb on a previous project uh-huh. and I, I kind of went, he's the guy. He, he's got to be the guy. Um, and it's, it's great to hear that that was an instantaneous thing for you as well. Um, but like I say, one of my favorite characters who you don't use a lot in the books, and I think I've expanded his role a smidge is Aaron Kettley, um, mm. who, who there's something menacing about him. And I'm not sure why, and I'm not sure if that's just something that I've interpreted from the books or if that's something you intended, but the way that, uh, Andrew Hansen from the chaser, who is typically a comic actor brings this level mm. of menace uh, to him and is that sort of lower register I found really interesting and that's probably my favorite character I think yeah yeah it's a um 
He, he's an interesting like because I when I first created the story, you know, I needed this kind of cast of villains that would kind of you know be Shackleton's underlings, and he, yeah, in the books I didn't use him like he he figured quite prominently in um, the first couple, and then he kind of like moved into the background as you know, other characters like um, Doctor Galton and people like that um, kind of became more prominent, but. Yeah, again, it was one of those um, situations where listening through, I was like, huh, so that's what he sounds like. Because I never really, um, you know, I didn't have a super clear idea in my head, but, like, I think, yeah, it's a, it's a great fit and he's a, a cool character. And, and as you say, it's, it's slightly expanded on um, what I've got in the books, but I think it, um, you've, like, clearly understood the character and so that's, that's really cool to see. That's great. Now, um, you did, as I said, listen to the audition tapes, I think, for, for Seb and Julia, um, mm. just sort of if I could have your tick of approval at that point. Did that sort of put your mind at ease? Because I assume I was still rather an unknown entity to you at mm. that point. Um, yeah, like, I, I, I really came into it with not a huge amount of expectation one way or the other. I was, like, I, um, I think the vibe that I had from the start was, I don't really know what this is, but I think it could be really cool. Um, and that was only kind of confirmed by hearing those audition tapes and being like, oh yeah, this could actually be heaps of fun. So yeah, I'm hoping that other people agree with me, but I'm certainly, yeah, I'm on board. I think it's, I think it's a really cool project. Now I do want to point out, you have a cameo that listeners should look out for. In, mm-hmm. the, uh, in the end of the, the first uh, book, so Man in the Shadows, which uh, you can buy now on iTunes, Amazon, and Google Play. Um, and, I mean, were you a little bit nervous? Because you are working with, like, Stephen Mahi, who's a really exciting <laughs> yeah, actor, right. and, like, Edmund Pegg, who's been on uh, Doctor Who and on um, uh, Matlock. So, I mean, that's, that's just your tiny little scene. And, yeah, was mm. that nerve-wracking for you? Look, I was... As I, I think I sent you like 20 and like I, I just sat in my bedroom with my little microphone recording the one line over and over and just being like, man, I'm not very good. And so I just, you know, I'm, yeah, thankfully it's a scene with a lot of like action going on and I'm just, you know, a, a shouty guy in the middle of all of that. But um, yeah, it's weird that I can say, oh yeah, I've, I've started alongside these people in a, in a project now. Um so yes, I, it has definitely um, uh, reaffirmed my desire to stick with writing the stories and let other people do the voices. But it was heaps of fun to be um, even a you know very small part of it. Now that's actually something else listeners should, in general, look out for. There are a number of cameos across all three that they're they're unnamed. They haven't been announced. They're not in the credits or anything. But they're all just sort of nods to my favorite shows and, and people that I could coerce into doing one or two lines. And I will say that the voice of, I think, the phone line that says your call cannot be connected, that person is an Emmy winner in, in the first huh. uh, book. And I'm not, I'm not going to tell you who it is because I want, I want listeners to have a, have a bit of a think. But across the three, um, I think all my favorite shows get represented in some way, shape or form. Can you name the shows at least to give me a clue? Because I'm really, like, I have whatever facial recognition blindness is, but for voices. Um, so there's somebody from the TV series The Thick of It, um, which starred Peter Capaldi. It's not Peter. Mm. But, um, there's somebody from Nashville. There's somebody from uh, Agatha Christie's Poirot. Um, and there's somebody from Jonathan Creek in there as well. Um, ah. 
it's it's a really eclectic range of who was in my contact book. Um, <laughs> but it, that, was, that was fun for me, um, you know, getting to reach out, not to just to the great actors we worked with, but, you know, friends of mine for cameos. And, and that yeah, was cool. a whole lot of fun. So, yeah, listeners should look out for that as well. Is there an app that's Shazam but for audio dramas? Because I feel like that could be useful right now in tracking these down. I'm sure people will recognise the voices. I'm just... Are they in the first one? Like, have I just completely missed... I probably have. There's, I think there's, there's only one other cameo in the first one. Um, uh-huh. And, yeah, that's the, the phone line voice. Um, the others will, I think, be across the, the last two. But yeah, cool. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know who it is once, once, we've, once we're off the air. Um, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> now, what is next for you at this point? So what are you writing? What are you working on? Um, so I've got a few different bits and pieces that I am working on. So for the first time, um, so right after The Phoenix Files, I dove into writing a series for younger kids called The Gateway, um, which is very much like in primary school territory. It's about a, a hotel for aliens. Um, and I just had a, like, I co-wrote that with David Harding and Rowan McCauley. And that was just really fun to do something, um, collaboratively. I'm working now on a couple of different things. One of them is like Ocean's Eleven, but in a primary school. Um, and I'm about halfway through that and really enjoying that. That's a bit lighter, but I've, um, it's, yeah, it's interesting to have it like wide open because I went straight from Zach Power into the Phoenix Files into Gateway. And now for the first time in the, you know, in a decade, it's like, cool. Okay. Now what? Um, and so I've got a couple of ideas for, um, for like kind of other big high concept things, but I'm also working full time um, these days. And so it's just going to be a matter of uh, trying to figure out how those things fit together. But I feel like I've got a lot more stories in me, so I'm sure they'll come out one way or another. And um, do you think the Phoenix Files is done from your point of view? Will there, will you ever debate like a seventh book? Will it be the J.K. <sighs> See, I really thought so. Uh, and, and in a sense, yes. Like, I think, um, that, you know, I, I had the story, you know, and I, I very often have kids email and say, Hey, can you please write another one? And my answer is always like, maybe, but I think, I think it's done. But at the same time, I love, you know, the thing Stephen King does where he doesn't you know, necessarily write a bunch of sequels, but there's characters that come in from other books or there's, you know, threads that come in from other books. That idea is super appealing to me. Um, so I have sitting on my computer um, a, uh, a part of a manuscript that features, that's like set several years after and features um, Georgia, Jordan's little sister, as... Um, a kind of side character and if that ever gets off the ground then that opens up possibilities of one day going back to phoenix in a completely different um kind of way and i've got some ideas about that but i don't know maybe i mean look if the audio drama gets huge and we're suddenly billionaires and you know the publishers come knocking i'm not above a you know a cash grab if the price is right so if you're listening I'm on board. Um, I'll just have to come up with a story that works. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I'm laughing a lot right now because uh, the actress who plays Georgia 
um, is t- is one of my closest friends and specializes in doing child voices. Um, and they would have a field day with some sort of spin-off. And I, um, I just think of all the characters, the fact you've picked the one played by my best friend is... Well, brilliant. Nice. So we're set from your end. So we're let's... Set here, yeah. uh, I'll just have to come up with a story and then we'll I'll let you know. <laughs> well, look, Chris, it's been a pleasure having you on the show and, and talking beyond um, that one chat about a year and a half ago. I, I do want yeah. to just draw on something that you said just before we started, which I think listeners may appreciate. How weird is it having this voice interview you across well, the line? <laughs> well, right, yeah, because as, um, as I said to you before, like it's like Luke's calling. Um, because I, I don't know if, have we said that yet, that you play Luke in the drama? I and so, don't think we've said it yet, no. Well, you do, um, as you know. Um, but, yeah, like, so we've had one conversation as, you know, you being Benjamin, and I have heard hours upon hours of you being Luke. So, you know, it said your name when the phone rang, but then here I am talking. It's very surreal. It's a very <laughs> strange thing. Um, I will, I like, I'm not... You know, this is not a video call. I will take it on faith that you are who you say you are, but my subconscious mind is not having it. So there you go. <laughs> well, that is, I mean, you know, that's a, a testament to the imagination that can get carried away with an audio drama, which uh, I think we both encourage people to go and buy right now. Absolutely. Uh, it's available worldwide, uh, which is even better. So, because I know you've got readers all over the world. I think you did a mm-hmm. book tour at one point too, didn't you? Yeah, so I've, I've, um, it, it's bizarre, right? Because I write these stories like, you know, sitting in a cafe or, you know, sitting at home in my pajamas. And then a couple of years later, I've got kids from like America and the UK and, you know, all over the place writing to me. And, you know, like I'm not like a big shot author or anything, but there are people in other countries who have read my books and that is completely like awesome and weird. So um, if you're also listening to this, you should go and download the audio drama and you can experience the story all over again, but with people who can actually act. So there you go. There's my plug. <laughs> There's the plug. And it is uh, iTunes, Amazon, and Google Play. Chris, it's been great to have you on the show. really appreciate your time. And uh, This is great. I feel like we've doubled our friendship, yeah. at least by the hours. That's right. It's, this it's is good. Two whole conversations now as opposed to one. And I feel like we should talk some more before the uh, the next one comes out because that absolutely is, that's the great thing about this is that all three we're not going to do a divergent on you and leave you sort of hanging without an ending we're going to all three have been recorded and uh, the last two have release dates for the end of uh, august uh, end of april and end of august next year so this what are your thoughts yeah. on um taking the third one and arbitrarily splitting it into two just as like a money spinner well, I mean, it depends how long it clocks in at, because <laughs> I think that the first one is I've, the shortest. I've heard that's what all the cool kids are doing, um, just making the last yeah. movie one into two for no reason. So no I don't know. If, I don't know if that's what we do in as audio book makers, audio drama makers. But anyway, I'm just just floating it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's an idea. I mean, I think what this one on the rough cut of the first book clocked in at over 320 and it, it came down to I think one, uh, 250 in the end mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a lovely reasonable length for an audio drama but mm. they do get progressively longer um, well the book certainly did so I yeah I was impressed at your I what I guess restraint with the scripts um, because they were like they did get progressively longer but it, they still felt tight which 
I'm not sure if I achieved in the writing of the books, but you've somehow honed it. So well done. <laughs> I, look, I, I, I did love the books. I, I don't think it would be sitting here if I didn't. You know, I read a lot of books to try and find the right project. Mm-hmm. And I, I loved the Phoenix Files. And I, yeah, it was, it was great to be able to work with these characters who seemed real. Because that's the thing with science fiction, or I mean, any fiction really. Most authors have a difficulty in, in making well-rounded characters who are children or teenagers um, because they want to make these shallow 2D iPhone-loving you know, mm, video gaming mm. kids. But these are actual human beings and you've taken the technology away from them in a sense. So they're forced to have conversations and develop and grow as human beings over the course of um, three, well, three books, which is... A Hundred days? It's set over roughly a hundred yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that for me was the draw card because you've got not only a great story and some roles that you can fill, like Shackleton and uh, Jack Hunter, Luke's dad, with you know stars, but you can also have development for for the a- actors who are spending a lot longer in in studio, mm, um, mm. Like, you know, Julia and Seb, because those characters do grow. And for those who haven't actually read the books or have only read the first book and about to listen to the audio drama or have listened to it by now, there are some great character twists along the way. There are some genuine things to be surprised by that shocked me as a first-time reader when I read them a couple of years back. So I think that's a testament to the work. So I think you did manage to keep it succinct, but also, you know, grow and develop everything. Oh, thanks so much. I mean, like, for me, it's... If I don't care about the characters, I don't care. Um, And I am... Like, there are very few things that frustrate me more... Um, as a reader or a viewer or a consumer of media, then people who don't get kids and people who don't get young people writing kids and young people. And it's that thing I was talking about before of like the old dude sitting back being like, I know what the youth will think is cool. Like, I think just, I, I, I don't know why it's hard. Like, I know I spend, like, I'm a, I'm a teacher, you know, by real job. So I know I spend a lot, like a disproportionately large amount of time, but they're just, they're people, you know? And if you treat kids and young people as the people that they are, then easy, right? I don't know. I don't know. That's my soapbox moment for the day. But, yeah, I'm I'm glad you think that I got that part right because, honestly, that was the most important part for me to get right, I think, Yeah. Well, to my mind. I, I, I picked it because that part seemed right to me because, you know, it, it's always – it comes down to people. You're right. It totally comes down to people. And you can hear a whole lot of people. I think the large, we're the largest audio drama made in Australia with over 40 people in all three. You can hear mm. it now. You can go on, yeah, as we've said, online, iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, worldwide. And you can buy it right now. And uh, we'd love to hear what you think of it as well. If there's a, Chris is on all the social medias, I believe. Um, Instagram, yep. Twitter, and, and Facebook. As am I and, and the company. And uh, there's also a feedback. Uh, we've got a feedback email address. It'll be in the show notes of the podcast. And we hope you buy this one and then the next two. And, uh, you know, maybe if you buy enough of them, Chris will be coerced into writing a seventh book. Uh, I, I make no guarantees, but that's your best shot. Buy the audio drama. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. It's been great talking to you. And, yeah, people should go check out the audio drama right now. Brilliant. Thanks so much. That was my chat with Chris Morphew. The links to buy the Phoenix Files Man in the Shadows audio drama are in the show notes for this podcast. You can buy it on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, and phoenixfilesaudio.com. Thanks, as always, to our incredible supporters, Mad Zombie Collectibles and Palace Nova Cinemas. You can check out their details on our website. And as always, look out for new movie reviews on the movie reviews section of the website. 
I've been your host, Benjamin Man McKay. And once again, don't forget to buy The Phoenix Files, Man in the Shadows. And I'll be back with another interview later in the month. Bye for now.